Welcome back to another thrilling episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. I'm but one of your hosts. My name is Michael. And I am Steve. We have a special treat for you once again this week. And we are here with Mr. Clay Bowers, wild food and natural navigation enthusiast. Professional forager extraordinaire up in Michigan, based out of Traverse City. Um, His website is N-O-M-I Forager. Dot com, And that's where you're going to find all of his great class schedules. Um, he has one coming up. Probably by the time this episode comes out, it'll be right a few days right before this class. But um, we're really excited to have Clay on to talk about Chaga. Yeah, and you can uh, you can find Clay on Instagram at Clay underscore Bowers. Uh, and, and you should look him up right now and you can check out his stuff while we're talking. So thanks for coming to the show, Clay. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I just want to say one thing really quickly. Unfortunately, I accidentally made Clay two underscores Bowers. Oh, Instagram. got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I did that, but I somehow managed to put two in there. That's kind of cool. Unique. Yeah. Important <laughs> distinction, though. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. So you guys want to talk about chaga? Yeah, we'd love to talk about chaga. Um, it's something that I've never harvested. I don't think I've even ever seen in the Chicago area. Plenty of people think they've seen it. Yeah, but I, we, we might have been fooled by burls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It happens a lot, right? Yeah, that's a very common thing for people to do. Do you guys have many birches down there in Chicago? We have a few, yeah. A couple. We don't um, really have any like super strong stands or copses. Or like old growth, Not nothing. Mm-mm. Yeah, a, a lot of them are, are pretty young. Well, old growth and birch are kind of like a funny word combination there because <laughs> uh, birch trees only live to be about 80 years old. Okay. Uh, 80 or 90, I think. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit older max, but that's generally their lifespan is regarded as like 80 years. Pretty so, young. Yeah, so pretty young. And um, they they also are pioneer species, so they benefit from a lot of sunlight. They they don't really do well in competition with other trees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, as I'm sure you guys know, because you're into mushrooms, they're also host to a couple other cool um, fungus species that humans also use. So like the birch polypore, for instance. Oh, definitely, the, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Fomis fomentarius, that's the horse hoof mushroom. Um, is that also, it, what, what is that used for? Uh, it's also called tinder fungus. That yeah. was one that um, the Otzi the Iceman, or Otzi, I don't know how you say his name, uh, he he carried that around with him. They found it on his um, dehydrated body in the Alps. <laughs> yeah. They found that mushroom on him. And apparently he was probably... They, they theorize either carrying coals in it or using it for parasites because it, it, it rids the body of a uh, whipworm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and they were able to, yeah, find derive all that just from finding it on his dried corpse. That's, <laughs> I yeah. love that story. It's like <laughs> one of the oldest preserved human bodies ever, right? Yep. And some skier just found it in the 1990s. Wow. So relatively recent, too. I can't imagine finding yep. that, you know, like skiing. <laughs> You're just skiing around all of a sudden. You find this, like, oh, somebody died here. And it turns out it's like 5,000 years old. <laughs> One of the most important yeah. archeolo- archaeological discoveries or paleontological, uh, whatever. <laughs> we know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's move back to Chaga, though. Um, so you can find it, it. It's exclusively on birch trees, right? Yeah, so... 
the so here's here's the the thing is like Inanotus obliquus, the scientific name, that is a fungus that in of itself can grow on other things, right? But when when we say chaga, we don't that a chaga is a separate reference from Inanotus obliquus. So like chaga is a reference to what you find growing on a birch tree. If you find if you find something growing on uh, a cherry tree, that would be the species like Inanotus obliquus, um, and and this has been documented, right? But the problem is is that, that half the medicine that people get from chaga is actually uh, chemistry found in birch trees. So you got like betulinic acid and and uh, betulinin and stuff like that. Cool. Wow. So it's actually and, rendering medicinal components of the tree uh, usable. Yes. So, well, birch is already medicinal on its own. Um, but, but then that's why I say like chaga, the word chaga means, you know, it, it does mean that species, but, but if you said chaga and then you harvested it from a different tree species, which is actually pretty rare to find, um, you would not be getting the same medicinal benefits that you would be getting if you, if you found it on a, on a uh, birch tree, which is why I say, uh, in my mind, chaga is not chaga unless it's found on a birch. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so what uh, what other, like, how would you use this as uh, whenever you, oh, well, okay, let's start from how would you harvest it? So you've found it, where, how long does it usually take to mature? Can you find, like, small pieces of it and then, like, come back later and it's going to be bigger? Is that going to take years? Um, yeah, so... Chaga, first of all, is a is like a parasitic infection that gets into a birch tree, usually through a wound in the tree. Um, we have strikingly little information about like how they sporulate and they make their spores. But one thing is certain, and that is that uh, so chaga, the the thing that you harvest, doesn't make spores. So um, there's only been a couple times in history when it's actually been photographed, like the. Um, the actual mushrooms that spread the spores. So chaga grows from tiny infections in trees. We know that. We also know that before a protuberance grows out of the tree, that the that the the tree has already probably likely been infected for you know 20, 30 years even sometimes. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So like you seeing chaga in an area typically means that there's going to be a lot more trees that are already infected. You just haven't seen the growth yet. I mean, in many ways, chaga growth actually kind of like mirrors cancerous growth in humans mm -hmm. in that, like a lot of times people will have cancer, you know, years before they actually, um, years before they actually get the, um, like symptomatic. Like and like... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's in 30 and, years, that's up to like a third of this tree's life, potentially like, wow. Yep. And then, and then, um, what Chaga basically does is it'll have that, it'll have that sclerotium. That's what they're called. It'll, it'll start to grow out of the tree. And then, yeah, they're, they're pretty small at first. Um, you know, they could be, you know, you could maybe make a fist shape. They could be that small. Mm. Um, that even I've even found smaller and, uh, and then they can also just be as big as like a basketball, you know, where I've seen like, you know, literally like a basketball size shape coming off of a tree. That's wild. And as long as you 
don't dig like into the tree tissue itself and you just kind of like knock off some pieces off the side, then it will start to regrow. And I've seen, you know, um, we, we basically have like made the rounds here for the last 10 years. Um, I know where there's all kinds of trees that grow chaga. And, you know, every four years I'll go back to that tree or whatever if I want to harvest some and I'll pick some off that tree and it'll have regrown a substantial amount. Wow. And is it also, is it every four years? Because that's generally how long it takes you to use what you collect? Uh, no. That's just, just the time random. you give the tree to regrow? Yeah, it's just a random number that I've created for myself. I don't think that it makes any difference really. And as far as like the sustainability goes, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the mycology world about, about chaga that is just flat out false. And, um, you know, like I already mentioned prior, these, these, uh, sclerotium, they don't make spores. So like leaving some behind doesn't help anything. It literally does nothing. Um, I would actually argue that leaving some behind is good just for your fellow foragers. Sure. And, and so like, I guess that's an important distinction for me because like, I kind of detest seeing like misinformation for the wrong reason. Like you see, you see all these people mentioning, Oh, like you shouldn't harvest too much chaga because like it's rare. And, um, and I say it's not rare. And if you have enough, just take enough for yourself and then leave some behind so that other foragers have a chance to get it. Yeah, which is kind of a general rule of thumb for, like, I think all collection practice is just kind of, you know, I mean, depending, you know, it's not absolute, but most, like, native respecting stuff, we want to kind of collect a responsible amount, a personal use amount, and then leave enough for the rest and the animals around you, too, because I'm sure there's some sort of there's other uh interactions that we don't understand yet that chaga have with like insects that may interact with it um mm-hmm. probably antiviral actions there too for you know for them so <clears throat> there's lots of benefits Definitely. to leaving a little bit behind um and i totally respect the um fight against misinformation doing the right thing for the wrong reason it's like well that's still that's that's not enough quite yeah, we're all about that. And, and in fact, we, we've mis, misspoke in past episodes of our podcast and gone back and uh, recanted our, our information just to, you know, to be clear. Sure. We're, we're all learning together, I think. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it, as far as like the rarity of Chaga, though, too, that's that's like a, one been one of the most infuriating things for me because um, so I live in Traverse City, which is like home to a lot of mushroom hunters right yeah there there are a ton of people up here who are into mushrooms and chaga is heavily picked around here and i can literally go in town and and find chaga <laughs> like at, at some of our in town parks oh man so <laughs> so that's why i say like depending on where where you are you'll you're you're going to find chaga i mean um we go Typically, like if we're going to go pick chaga and we want to actually make like an event out of it and, and pick like a five gallon bucket or something, um, we're going to go to the Upper Peninsula because the Upper Peninsula of Michigan has vast stretches of birch forest. And, you know, you can go out for two or three hours and fill up a five gallon bucket. That's wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all. And, and, and it, what I was going to say is also that's that's like 
not even harvesting the stuff that's out of reach. That's only harvesting the things that you can reach with your, you know, without a ladder. Yeah, because birch are pretty tall. They're like thin and they grow fast. They don't live very long. So they're shoot. I mean, most of the, is a lot of the chaga pretty up high? Uh, there's there's a substantial amount of chaga that is high up. Like you'll, you'll it actually becomes kind of frustrating sometimes because you'll find, you'll be walking through a birch forest and you look up and 30 feet up, there's like a basketball sized chaga. And you're <laughs> like, well, can't get that. <laughs> torturous uh, wow but that does make sense like longitudinally um just just researching chaga a little bit before we came on here i uh you know i a lot of the world's exports of chaga come from like russia estonia like like that high uh high latitude cold weather uh area so yeah that makes sense right michigan's up there too mm-hmm. yeah yep uh, and in fact you know i would say that i find less chaga the more south i go in michigan so yeah so it it totally makes sense and you know i was having this discussion with uh sam thayer recently on um on a post that i made about chaga and he funny funny enough you know he referred to it as the chaga police Um, (laughs) because because, like people people say they have this silly thing like I, i don't know how long you guys have been foraging but i've been foraging for close to 17 18 years I've been teaching for about 12 and they um, there's a thing that people do where if they don't find it around them, then they consider it to be a rare thing to find. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. One thousand. So like some. Yeah. So like uh, there's a couple there's a couple like really glaring examples of that that I I, I come across every single year and there are ramps, chaga and uh, ghost pipe. Yeah. Or uh, Indian Indian pipe. Yeah. All three of all three of those things are really, really, really common by me. But um, in fact, in the summer, I could walk across like whole entire expanses of ghost pipe, and just like I, I could probably harvest like hundreds and thousands of them. Oh wow. But I don't I don't ever touch them because like I don't I don't use them. Mm-hmm. But. If I wanted to, I could do so sustainably, but, but my sustainable harvest here might be different from somebody's sustainable harvest in downtown Chicago. Oh, that's absolutely the case. You know, that's why we, we advocate like just kind of general mindfulness, being mindful of its, um, you know, density in your area. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, basically choking myself over here with the vein coming out of my forehead, trying not to bring up ramps while you're talking <laughs> about like how people talk about chaga, because you're absolutely right. Um, but I think it's also arguable that just because it's common around us doesn't mean it's not uncommon or generally considered mildly rare or something like that. You know, it's just because it's super available to you doesn't mean it isn't like, you know, a lot of other places. Um, where people are really passionate about foraging, um, and it is really strong medicinal or delicious food, um, it isn't available, or it does need to be harvested really sustainably or mindfully, such as like the hills of Pennsylvania or whatever, where their ramp crops are being decimated. So it is just kind of like familiarity with place and you know making sure that you know your environment as well as you can before you start harvesting um, freely. And so I really respect the, your your mindfulness practice as well because, um, you know, 
around us, there's tons of ramps too. We have so much. <laughs> I, I feel like we live in like a ramp mecca. Yeah. And, uh, and so when people are, you know, tiptoe around the topic, it's it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit different for us. I think. Yeah. So we're all fighting yeah, a good I'm fight actually out here. From where I'm sitting right now, I can walk about a three-minute walk to a woods that is about five acres. There's a five-acre chunk we have access to that's pure, 100% understory of ramps. Wow. <laughs> and and, and uh, it grows every year with our harvest, which is why, you know, um, I mean, I, I did a whole entire podcast on Wild Fed talking about this, but so I don't yep. need to like rehash it or whatever. But the, um, you know, they're like what you said is absolutely correct. Like they, it just depends on the area. When I teach classes every year in Southern Michigan, I'll do, I do typically a Grand Rapids class and an Ann Arbor class every year. And there's like 10 ramps in each of those forests. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell people, just don't harvest these. These are for looking at, <laughs> you know? Yep. Or a nibble. Yeah. Or a nibble or, <laughs> yeah. But, but like, you know, Grand Rapids, you got a population of like, you know, maybe like a million or more people. I, I don't know the population of Grand Rapids, but like it, everybody having a nibble would be like too much. Yeah. Nibbling. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. So anyway, but, but as, as in regards to Chaga though, what I'm saying though, is like, if you harvest Chaga, even if you're in a city of a million people, that's not an unsustainable harvest. It's an unsustainable harvest in that other people won't have the opportunity, but it's not unsustainable in that it's not going to do any damage to the tree, the specimen, the organism, anything like that. Wonderful distinction. Yeah, thank you. Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com. Or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! So whenever you do harvest your chaga, you got a five-gallon bucket full. What are we doing with it? Uh, immediately, it must be dried. So that means you have to uh, break it into little tiny chunks. Usually we do that in with a big hefty cutting board and a hammer and a chisel. Okay. <laughs> um, break it into little chunks. Um and then that needs to be dried because believe it or not, you, you're looking at this thing that looks like wood and you, and if you just kind of like left it in a basket or a bucket, 
um, it would all start to mold within a matter of a couple of days. So it, it has to take be taken care of. And then at that point, once it's dried into little tiny chunks, what we do to get better extraction and get more out of our chaga is we use a Vitamix to powder it. Nice. Do you do, you do any sort of like uh, alcohol extraction or anything after it's powdered or do you uh, use it for tea? What's your favorite? Well, I... I honestly, and this is this is going to be like the weirdest thing. If you read if you read this blog that I um, that I wrote a couple years ago, um, it's called Myths and Legends Chaga. I actually talk about how like Chaga is not the cure all that people kind of think it is, mm-hmm. and 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 then I think like one of the biggest things about Chaga is that everybody's like is it sustainable or is it not sustainable? But I think the real argument is like, is it actually this like savior medicinal that we've all made it out to be? And um, I do think that it is, uh, it's, it's, there is some like scientific research. If you were to go to Google scholar and look it up, there's a lot of headlines in there that you could, you could just glaze through that would talk about the anti-tumor effects or the um, like beneficial aspects to your liver, but also you know, chaga is like one of the highest things that has oxalates in the country or in the world. Oh wow! There, there's, there's, it's, it's really high in oxalates. So unless you have, um, a lot of like gut bacteria that that does away with oxalates, which we know is a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like then sure. if you're if you're sensitive to oxalates, then then chaga is is not the right choice for you. I've never heard that noted um, before, how dense it is with oxalates. Yeah, I've never heard that either. That's that's fascinating for sure. There is there is at least one study of a woman, and I, I believe I you know, don't don't quote me on this, but I, I believe she was Japanese and um she had complete like uh, renal failure and uh after a year of using chaga all the time. But I think she was kind of going crazy. It's like it's like when you hear about somebody who develops like a big goiter because they eat like, you know, pounds of kale a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So it's like that moderation thing is important. And then, um, but as far as like what we do, we just powder it and then drink tea. I don't do alcohol extraction. Um, my girlfriend runs a tea business called Bloom Wildcraft and oh, she cool. sells a, she sells a blend called uh, hot chaga. It used to be called hot chaga lit. <laughs> um, but everybody kept calling it hot chocolate <laughs> and she was, so like everybody kept mispronouncing it. So she just decided to rename it hot chaga and uh hot chaga is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a hot chocolate mix that has chaga powder in it. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah. And so what kind of flavors and, is it in like viewing into your teas and your yeah, what does it chocolate? taste like? If, so if you're just like straight up chaga, how, how would you describe it? Straight up chaga, I would describe as like a more, a more like a bitter coffee taste that's kind of got hints of vanilla oh. and, and it is like, uh, it doesn't have like, do, are you guys coffee drinkers? Yeah. Yeah. We're drinking coffee. I think we're, I think we're both drinking yeah. coffee right now. <laughs> yeah. As am I. I. I love coffee. I'm like a little obsessed with coffee. Me um, too. But, but, but like coffee is, it's got like that thicker kind of like mouth feel. <laughs> That's like a funny saying, but uh, Chaga does not. Chaga is like a little bit more watery. So I would say that it doesn't have that like 
thickness that you mm-hmm. kind of feel from coffee, mm-hmm. but it is, but it is very flavorful, um, in that it has like, you know, it has those hints of vanilla. It has that like uh, bold, bitter kind of coffee taste to it. But anytime somebody suggests that chaga could be like a coffee substitute, I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, we we are we are team uh, stop substituting things for coffee. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I think stop maybe calling it coffee. I think maybe like every other podcast that we record, every other ingredient, they're like, oh well, you can grind up the seeds and use them for coffee or yeah. dandelion root coffee, and it's like roast it. Please don't talk that way about my dear coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, call it yeah. dandelion root tea or you know roasted root tea or something like that. It's not coffee. Like yeah. stop. No, exactly. Um, coffee is, coffee is coffee. That's right. You know that that's like when people when people it's the same thing with potatoes. You know, Jerusalem artichokes are not like potatoes. <laughs> no, oh my God. <laughs> Roasting beets does not give them the texture of potatoes. I love I, I love be- or radishes. Yeah, yeah. I, I love radishes, but yeah. they're not potatoes. No, and I love roasted <laughs> radishes, but yeah. it doesn't. It's not fluffy and soft. Yeah, absurd that the the, yeah. the try to the compensations people will try to make mm-hmm. to avoid certain food yeah yeah so um but but chaga is uh it's it's really good i mean i i like the taste of it but as far as like my day-to-day practice goes it's like um i i'm i'm not i'm not like a huge chaga drinker i i drink it like maybe a few times a month and i think that's plenty i, th- I think it's you know a, a, a little bit from from each uh, each area, kind of helps out, right? Like you don't want to, like you said, the the woman that ate kale for how many days ended up with renal failure. Like you you don't want to, you, you can overdo a good thing. There is such thing as too much of a good thing. Yep, exactly. So, do um, you go all in on the chaga flavor? Do you add any sweetener or anything? I typically do. I <laughs> I usually like to add in um, little maple sugar. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. You guys process your own uh, syrup and sugar and everything. Yeah, and actually, we make most of it into sugar, just oh. because it's like a little bit. It, it's easier to store. Um, we have started to make a little more of it into syrup because, like, um, my kids just enjoy. Like, when we make pancakes, they they really want to put like syrup on it and not like sprinkle sugar on top, which to me is like the same thing. But for my kids, they just want to have that. They just want to have that liquid. Yep. You know. Yep. Yep. So so we make uh, we make maple sugar mostly, and then we'll do you know a little bit with um, syrup. You know, I've seen some people already tapping trees. Really? I swear. Hmm. Yeah, my friend, uh, my friend Michael Mondo down in um, Bay City. That's like a couple hours south of us, southeast. You're kidding he, me! Uh, in Michigan. Yeah, he had a tree tap like a week and a half ago. We've had we've had like the weirdest winter. It is a weird winter. It, uh, yeah, facts. I was talking Here to in Chicago too. Uh, we 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 got invited. I haven't told you about this yet, but we got invited to uh, a town in, or a, a cabin in Stockton, Illinois, to go uh, morel hunting uh, in mid to late April. Hell yeah! Um, and so we were we were talking about the the strange winter it's been and how it might be more of a mid April thing. Yeah, perhaps. Huh. I don't know. Um, let's 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 close out with the shaga though. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Uh, I mean, it probably smells about how it tastes, right? Is there any difference in its like it's aroma? Earthy. 
No, I don't think so. But um, I, I would just say that if you're looking for chaga, if you want some like general tips on finding it, mm-hmm. I would say number one thing is always do a, a complete circle around the tree. So, you know, and I, and I'm sure you guys know this, if you're looking for mushrooms too, like you really want to look everywhere, especially if you're looking for like a, a mushroom that's growing on a tree. Um, Chaga is not a mushroom. I should state that. It's a, in case I haven't st- stated that already. Sterile um, canker. Yeah. It's uh, I, I actually love the name clinker canker. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, that's a, a, a funny name, but um, <laughs> we, you know, if you go out, do a complete circle around the tree, it's tedious, but you'll find more that way. Um, another thing that I always recommend people do is go to a place that has a lot of birch trees. So if you're if you're looking in a place that's got like three or four birch trees, you're obviously going to find low densities of chaga. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a place like uh, where I'll be teaching my class next weekend, that's going to be, you know, I don't know, 30% of the trees are birch trees. Oh, wow. So, so like, you're going to have a way higher likelihood of finding chaga rather than, like, it's like, you know, I wouldn't go around here looking for prickly pear cactus. Like, it is a native species to Michigan, but it's so, like, rare that I, I'd be like, I'd end up disappointing myself. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people, uh, they just... You know, there's a lot of re- regionality to consider when you go foraging, and a lot of people don't realize what the, how restrictive kind of the habitable zone for chaga is. And like you, like you said, it's specifically on birch trees. So if you don't have any birch trees, you don't got any chaga, folks. Yep. And and I would just say too, like, you know, o- ordering it from Siberia while that is not great for the environment and all the shipping and everything, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're worried about conservation of our, of our forests and, you know, people harming, taking too much, like you can support, you know, Siberian harvesters if you so desire, because, you know, they have forests there that are 100% birch. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like dirt to them. Like It's everywhere. They actually, uh, yeah. they, 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 they almost like worship it. Not, not literally, but like they, uh, the, the rush, like Siberia, Russians, Estonia, like, like I mentioned before, are big believers in its anti-cancer properties and they've done, you know, studies, uh, studies, I'm sure it's mostly anecdotal, but, um, yeah, they love it up there, man. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And, um, I, I just think that it's a really cool, uh, and if you guys do get a chance to get some try uh take a little chunk and burn it it's like a it's really interesting like uh incense smell okay i promise yeah so now we have two incense what was the what was the last one with jb douglas uh oh that was sweet gum sweet gum yeah sweet gum incense and now chaga incense yeah very cool what part of the sweet gum the balls oh really you can burn the little balls huh yeah i know we were we were amazed too it's like i stepped on those so many times (laughs) <laughs> Those are pretty rare around us, but but uh, I know they're more common as you get more south. Yeah, where I grew up so. in central Illinois, I, I think I had one in my backyard. So oh, nice. I'm I'm very familiar with the tree, but um, I think unless you have any other helpful tips, uh, any any secrets about chaga? Um, oh, here's a good tip: if you're in the woods, use a chisel to break the stuff off. A hammer and a chisel—it's the best way. There we go. 
perfect. All right. And, so. and, 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 and don't, don't uh, go into the tree. So, you Stay know, even if you're, yeah, even if you're seeing like a huge chunk and you're getting all greedy, <laughs> just, just temper yourself and just take, take enough so that it's definitely going to grow back. And uh, yeah, watch out for the burls because those, those things are really <laughs> like, they, they fool you. You yeah. run, you, you see a big black spot on a tree and you get all excited and you run there and, <laughs> oh, it's a burl. Uh, and and you can be sure you're not um, digging into the tree because it's uh, it grows at a surface level, or does it grow from within the tree a little bit? So you just make sure you stay on the outside of the tree. Is that all? Yeah, I like to I like to stay on the outside of the tree, and um, it does grow into the tree a little bit. So you can be forgiven there to like go a tiny bit into the tree. But um, what you're looking for is that orange gold color Mm -hmm. you start if you start hitting actual wood you'll notice the textural difference and the coloration okay perfect yeah i I think that'll be pretty easy yeah and it's a it's a really fun thing to do because if you're if you're harvesting i mean it can be harvested at any time of the year there's a lot of myths about like how you're not supposed to harvest it any other time but winter um that's not true but but uh, it is we reserve it for the winter months solely because it is like there's nothing else to harvest. <laughs> yeah, it's an opportunity yeah. to get outside, get everybody moving, and collect something. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I I really hope you guys get out there and find some chaga. Yeah, it, it's unlikely in the Chicago area, but uh, but we're gonna try anyway. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna make our way up to Michigan eventually too. Sometimes. So. Yeah, we're planning a little Michigan tour. We we record a bunch tour. of podcasts and yeah. and see see your neck of the woods, man. Yeah, man. We gotta meet oh, in person. Cool. Well, we will be meeting in person at uh, the. Apparently, you're gonna be teaching at the uh, Great Lakes Foragers Gathering. Yep, that is correct. Yep, we'll meet then at, at the very least, so that'll be fun. And then we'll, we'll finally have the triangle between me, you, and publicly challenged Luke. All It'll be connected. I'm actually going with Luke down to Texas to hunt pigs in March. Oh, that's awesome. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I we'll, we'll we'll have to do this again soon because I was like going through your Instagram and your your videos and whatnot, and I am uh, a novice to hunting. I'm I'm just getting into it, but I saw that you were out hunting squirrels, uh, and I am uh, just in need of knowledge. So I'll probably hit you up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, squirrels are really fun to hunt, but we don't have any this year because we had zero mast trap anywhere, the whole area. Mm. Oh, they, no mast. All, yeah. They, yeah, so we had like a great squirrel migration out of here. They're like, oh. there's almost no, there's almost no squirrels here this year. A it's great the most bizarre mi- thing. That's hilarious. Well, have you never heard of a great squirrel migration? No, <laughs> it's a, no that's, that's they, new to us. We we are swimming in squirrels over here stampede. all the time. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you read uh, if you read about the Lewis and Clark expedition, that's the first mention of it. They came across. Uh, I think it was thousands and thousands of squirrels swimming across the Ohio River, and 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 it's Whoa. a phenomenon known as a great squirrel migration. And it happens when there's no mass crop. So if there's no food for them to eat, they'll actually go like hundreds of miles sometimes. To this find, is fascinating. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So 
That's fucking awesome. I, I've, I feel like you've just opened up so many doors of research for me. <laughs> That's a squirrel well, good, hole good. I think I'll go down. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, well, good luck. Um, Thank anyway, you so much. I really appreciate you guys. All right, yeah, thanks we for your really time. appreciate you too, man. Thanks for being on the show, um, sharing all this really valuable information with us and our listeners. Um, make sure um, everybody checks out his Instagram page. That's Clay, two underscores, Bowers. That's right. And uh, check out his website, nomiforager.com. And uh, yeah, we loved having you on, Clay. Can't wait to talk to you again. All right, thank you. We'll see you. So that was Clay. He what rules, a guy. Man. Yeah, man, a, f- a fountain of knowledge. Yeah, super knowledgeable guy. Been doing it for forever. Um, he definitely makes the rounds all the way around Michigan. And from what I remember, I think last year he was even like, making his way into Indiana, teaching some classes there, too. Yeah, I don't think he's taught any classes in Chicago, necessarily. Not, um, yet, not yet. stepping on my turf. <laughs> but, no, I'd be happy to have him out here, man. Oh, man, and, we'd love to love to host him. Yeah. Um, man, what a guy. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. I loved learning about Chaga. Never used it, never seen it. I've, I've had it in, like, uh, so, like, the coffee that I brought you today, there, there's yeah. one with Chaga. Um, oh. There's a... There's a no, not not that. Not oh, in, in, in that, uh, yeah, I, I have others. Yeah. Different one. Um, yeah, man, that was great. Yep. And and you and you gotta think that if uh, someone as popular as like Daniel Vitalis, yeah, you know, to name drop, follows you, you get you gotta be doing something right. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's. Uh, I think Clay's getting a lot of long deserved recognition. Um, so yeah. So follow that guy. We're gonna keep the train rolling. Yeah. Yeah. The follow train. Keep running. That's the Wild <laughs> Edible World podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, it's been guys. A blast. We love Sigh. What's wrong, buddy? Well, I just realized this mushroom supplement I bought isn't actually made with mushrooms. It's made with something called myceliated grain? Myceliated grain? Oh, no! I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, but myceliated grain is a sure sign of a poor-quality mushroom supplement. Well, dang. I wanted mushrooms, not brown rice. What should I do? Well, you should support a small-batch producer from right here in the Midwest. Kiwino Apothecary. Kiwino Apothecary? Tell me more. Kiwi Na Apothecary specializes in high-quality mushroom extracts from Michigan, and they always use real mushrooms, never, never, never myceliated grain. That sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Where can I order? Well, you can find them at kiwinaapothecary.etsy.com. That's K-E-W-E-E-N-A-W apothecary.etsy.com. Be sure to read their many excellent reviews. Thanks, buddy. I don't want no low-quality mushroom products from a factory. I want Kiwi Na Apothecary. Wowie, wow! <laughs>